Hello and welcome to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. On this podcast, we are going to replay a podcast of where I was on a different podcast called the Clean Power Hour. It's actually my third or fourth visit to the Clean Power Hour, depending on how you count, with my buddies, Tim Montague and John Weaver. It was a lot of fun just hanging out with these guys. And the reason why I said it was three or four podcasts is because you want to hear the conspiracy? At the RE Plus conference, oil industry executives came in and they wrecked the recording that we made at RE Plus on the trade show floor. Dang it. I always like having a conspiracy theory to get people excited though, and we are going to get them back. I'm working on doing all kinds of digital terrorism, all kinds of digital fun stuff, all kinds of digital espionage or whatever you want to call it to all of these oil company executive podcasts, such as the podcast where you have MBS, you know, that guy. And I'm just kidding. Of course, there is no conspiracy. (laughs) On with the show. Let's hear it for Tim and John and me hanging out. Welcome to the Clean Power Hour Live. Today is September 28th, 2023. I'm Tim Montague, your host. Check out all of our content at cleanpowerhour.com. Give us a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. But more importantly, tell your friends about the show. That's how we're growing the show. One interview, one news roundup at a time. We have a special guest today. Mr. Sean White is here. And my co-host, John Weaver, of course, Mr. Commercial Solar Guy. Welcome to the show, John. Timothy, I hope you're having a great time. I hope your body's fully recovered from uh, going out to RE+. My shoulders hurt from sleeping on a train and really bad beds with big, giant, overly fluffed pillows. But otherwise, it was great. So I hope you're healthy. You took a three-day train ride across the country? I took a three-day train ride. Is that something you recommend to uh, other Americans? (laughs) Um, yes and no. 25% awesome and that it was great to interact with people, meet new people, hang out with my friends. 50% it was cool. You got to see the country. It was sort of relaxing on the weekend. 25% it sucked because train tracks are crappy. They're all over. It's a slow ride. Um, and you know, it's that we got to do better at our trains. Plus the whole person. It's not like a French train, right? Well, there's... I have no idea what a French train is, but it definitely doesn't the make French me think of... French trains tilt as they go around the corners. They're, they're well, our, just like ours trains smooth. tilt, too. Ours <laughs> tilt as well, but just a constant <laughs> tilt every 12 seconds. Um, and uh, so it was cool. And But the key thing is it wasn't nearly as clean energy, and we can go over the numbers if you want. It wasn't nearly as clean energy as we thought it was. It actually emitted more CO2 per rider than taking an airplane. So there's that, 27% more CO2. We'll go over the math before the end of the show. But when you're flying high in an airplane, apparently because we're releasing stuff up high, you multiply the CO2 actually emitted by 1.9, and that makes the airplane have more of a climate effect, which Mm -hmm. is a different thing than CO2. But more CO2 was emitted, which totally confused us and then made us all do really hard work and write a good article and learn some stuff. So... So positive. It was definitely positive. As a professional, you should ride the damn train. Um, As a person who wants to see the countryside and make it a long trip, like a three-week trip across the United States, awesome. Just, you know, don't plan on sleeping on the train too much because it's tough. Uh, But otherwise, it was great. You know, I I liked hanging out with Christian and Peter Kelly. 
Um, and they were just, it was just good people. And we met uh, Jake from KC, who's going to a rock concert and wants to be a rocker in LA. Okay. And I hung out with John, um, who's a religious guy. He's not Amish, and he's not um, uh, the other group that are in the Midwest that start with the letter M. Um, but just had a great conversation. He's got six kids be- between the age of five months and nine years. Mennonite? Mennonite, but he's not a Mennonite. There we go. Not a Mennonite, not an Amish. Uh, but he got six kids, so it was great to meet that guy and his wife. Um, so it was a good trip. Just, you know, realize it takes three days versus six hours. They were taking the plane for religious purposes? They were going to Mexico for medical help because, oh. of, of course, in the U.S., medicine is three times more expensive than the rest oh. of the world. That's my hypothesis. I don't explicitly oh. know, but Probably. good time. It was good time. Mennonites. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Just in case everybody, anybody's worried, Mennonites. So there we're going to we go. uh, we're going to give our listeners a roundup of RE Plus, yeah. the uh, forty thousand person strong renewable energy conference that happened two weeks ago in Las Vegas. And uh, but but Sean White, give us a give us an update on yourself. What do you what have you been up to in the last two weeks? Yeah, I've just been recovering from that RE Plus hangover, and even though I wasn't drinking at all. Just um, it's it's really draining with all the Las Vegas carpets that take you in circles and try to get you stuck in front of slot machines and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know, trying to find my first booth there was was quite a trick going through different floors up and down. I think they just purposely try to get you lost. And that's how they make money in Las Vegas is getting you lost in certain places. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I heard I heard I heard a lot of that. But, I you know, I got. I got to hang out at your booth, so that was kind of fun. We were, um, we we're even watching it for you while you went and did something really important, and uh, <laughs> that may or may not have. And, and my stuff was still know. there when I got back, so you yeah. did a good job guarding my recording I, equipment. I, I know what, what what we were gonna do though is I was gonna hide your microphones and then and then put a little sign that said microphones one dollar, and. <laughs> and <laughs> And put a few yeah, that was fun. Jar. We did a recording. Yeah. Uh, I did a bunch of recording at RE+. Unfortunately, the one you and, and John and I did uh, was a fail. Uh, the video failed. The audio is still there, and we might release that. I'm, I'm debating about right. that. I've also thought about making an animation uh, using an AI, using our voices, but uh, th- that's more of a process. So we'll see. But, I'm um, sure it was like the bad guys, like, the, like maybe the fossil fuels and the other podcast shows were... Yeah, somebody sabotaged the cameras for our episode. Yeah. Uh, I, I would say, actually, gentlemen, the 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 depth of us and the breadth of us was so significant that uh, no mere memory card could hold the three of us in one place. So that's just we should be considering that for future shows, Timothy. Just you know, bigger memory cards for the three of us. That's how's that? <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> Supersize us. <laughs> So, um, but yeah, I mean, I think it is actually quite interesting to look back two weeks from the event when the dust has settled and what stood out for us. I mean, for me, it was meeting all these amazing people who I'd never met before uh, in my booth. And, you know, I talked about him and I've released the episode now with Mike Hall of, of Anza. And he's the founder of Borrego, a uh, very storied energy entrepreneur, clean energy entrepreneur, founded Borrego in 2002 in San Diego. That was a really interesting interview. Released an interview with Amy Hart from Sunrun, the largest uh, 
residential solar and storage installer, they're doing about 800 megawatts, I think, awesome. this year. Um, so they're doing about 10% of the residential solar installations in the United States. And Amy, Amy is a Midwesterner. She's from Milwaukee, so that was cool. She was very involved with MREA in its early years, the Midwest Renewable Energy Association, which um, is a lesser-known organization outside of the Midwest, but they're, they're OGs in, in clean energy. They were into solar thermal and wind and now, of course, PV. And uh, they have a beautiful campus there in Custer, Wisconsin, where they do a lot of NABCEP training. They have, uh, you know, this roof, this demo roof that's on the ground where they do lots of uh, training for people who do rooftop solar and um, a room full of all different inverters so you can see all the different flavors of string inverters and micro inverters so very cool and what about you john what's uh what are a few things that stood out for you from re uh like sean said for me it did take a tiny bit to get my bearings uh to move around the floor better made me think that as this show's growing i have to be more professional with how i approach it and how i get on the floor um, you know, I work half for PV Magazine when I'm out there, and I work half for myself, and it's only two and a half days. Uh, you know, there's 13, I did some math, so over 1,300 booths, you have a th essentially 20 hours on the floor. That's if you spend all day, nine to five, for two and a half days. That's 65 booths an hour. That's, you know, you can't just casually see 65 booths in an hour. Right. Um, you can walk past them real fast, but that's not what we do. We're professionals. We work on this stuff. We got to know. So it, it means I got to work harder going to a conference. It's less a vacation, which is good because that means we got volume. Um, at least this conference, you know, I have to be more strategic. I know big companies, they just set big appointments and they just have people come to their booths. I'm at a different side of the game still, you know, when I don't have uh, big players coming to me yet, but it, uh, seeing people was great. I had a cool interview with uh, Three Sun and their solar panel that halfway exists, but halfway doesn't. It's going to break 25% in February. That's pretty cool. Um, I spoke with Fluke. I spoke with um, several other groups. I spoke with an investment firm. Um, lots of great handshakes. Got to see you for a moment, Tim. Um, twice, multiple times we saw each other. And... Uh, I don't know. It's a good good conference. Other than the really terrible pillows, can nobody put a thin pillow in a hotel room? Do these all have to be like three X thick pillows? I mean, come on. Are there? Is that? Am I abnormal in liking a thin pillow? I, think so. uh, I, I am. Totally. Yeah. There we go. Two out of three. That's yeah. it's it's done. Decision made. Thin pillows everywhere. I like a medium pillow, firm. I don't like feather pillows. I don't like super mushy pillows, but. Too thin is no good either. Yeah, I'll just, sometimes I'll just go with no pillow. You know, it's better for your neck. Wow. Wow, that's that is weird, core. Sean. Lay on your back and get like a straight that's, spine. That's, sit up uh, straight. that's caveman territory. Uh, <laughs> I'd rather lay on a rock than no pillow. <laughs> you don't want to have a cervical kyphosis, you know. I don't even know what that word means. Yeah, I what mean, is that? Like like that sounds really yeah. gnarly. Yeah. All right. All right. So, so it was a good conference. Lots of people. It's growing. Um, we're going to keep doing better. I like the fact that the industry is growing. I spoke with Baywa. I have, I'll have an interview with Baywa up in the next couple of days. Um, we're listening to the, the guy at Baywa speak. It's like, wow, you guys are big players. You have a different, you have a long game viewpoint. He's, he was like, he, they've got billions of dollars in interconnection fees 
in their project pipeline. Just interconnection fees in the billions. Absolutely uh, um, something. It's just like, wow, that's a lot of a lot of interconnection stuff for you guys to consider. So lots of cool stuff. You talked to Baywatch's development arm? Yeah, I have his name somewhere on a notepad. But yes, it was one of their uh, developer guys. Yep. They're they're a strange company because they also you know they're a, they're a supply house. They sell yep. solar equipment. They have a Correct. headquarters in New Mexico for that business. Then they have that development shop based in Southern California, and they have an O and M arm too. I think. Um, but big company. Yep. Yep. Who else did I see? I saw Paul Grana at Helioscope. Um, got an interview with him. I still haven't looked at that content, so I don't know <laughs> if that's going to get published. Hopefully it will. Uh, a lot of question marks about my interviews now that, uh, that I had a few fails. But um, got to see Matt Campbell from Terrabase, one of my favorite companies. They're chasing automation of construction. So they have a system for putting modules on torque tubes in a pop-up factory that they put on site on solar construction sites and and then they uh, so they're they're taking modules off a conveyor belt the robot puts them on the torque tube and mounts them to the torque tube and then lifts that torque tube which now weighs a thousand pounds because it's full of solar modules and puts it on a uh, Sem today semi-autonomous vehicle the coolest thing that i that matt showed me is they've got a full platform for tracking the construction project so they can see where all the vehicles are and what goes where and pre-program the, the 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 construction so the vehicle or the vehicle driver i mean they they have an autonomous vehicle but today they're mostly semi-autonomous meaning there is a driver in the vehicle but, but the driver knows exactly where to go, right? There's just no question. The computer's telling it, okay, this is where that torque tube is going. And so they have a real-time monitoring system effectively for solar construction, which I think is going to be very interesting to EPCs, whether or not they embrace the robots. Just knowing what's going on on your solar you know, site, I think, is, is useful. I'll agree with that. Yeah. And uh, spend some time with Earthos. Uh, the flat solar, flat to earth solar is their moniker, and uh, made some introductions for them to some independent engineers and and other people that are interested in their product. That's a very uh, controversial product, I will say. Everyone has an opinion. Like people go, "Oh, interesting," or "Oh, that's not going to work." Um, <laughs> but uh, after you know, after talking with with uh, the Earthos folks, you know, extensively now, I, I think there's a there there. And Pinegate is one of the largest developers in the U.S. is, is doing a 100 megawatt project with that Earthos flat to earth. Did, did either of you visit the Earthos booth? Yeah, there's a lot of activity there. It's, it's pretty neat. There's just like completely like ground level solar. Yeah. Um, all I was thinking is like, I hope the deer don't jump the fence. But otherwise, it seems <laughs> they'll be ice neat. skating on the solar panels, like special um, robots to clean it off. And, you know. yeah, <laughs> I visited the booth and I learned a few things that were neat. One, the robots bigger than I thought. It's just the first time I saw it mm. uh, Two, the robot and uh, the package that they sell. They're sold in two megawatt chunks 
and a robot's plan to clean one megawatt of the panels each night. It's charged remotely by the DC. Um, three, that 100 megawatt uh, chunk of that 100 megawatt deal they announced, I think it's 100 megawatts in Mississippi. They could have had 180 megawatts in Mississippi. I can't remember. They had a couple of big announcements. But that project's going to have 50 little robots and I would love to see a video at night, a drone video. Each robot has some lighting on it. So I would love to see a robot, a video of the robots just out there all cleaning at night with like lights on it or something. <laughs> Somebody's going to make a phone call and be like, there's aliens on the solar panel farm uh, doing something with all these weird lights. I just thought it looked neat. Um, you, When you purchase their hardware, you're purchasing some engineering. You're purchasing a production guarantee. Uh, you're purchasing robots. Uh, O&M for the robots. They have a special racking along the edge. It's concrete blocks. And then you have to buy metal chains of sorts, not chains, really wire, metal wire to hold the modules down. But you do have to get custom solar modules or custom solar module frames because the, um, uh, by the way, it's 100 megawatts of Earthos in Mississippi per one of our uh, Facebook watchers. Uh, but the frames have little holes in them so that the Earthos cable can go through the frame edge. And so you do have to customize your modules uh, a bit. So that might have an effect on pricing, availability, you know, spot market stuff. But at, you know, 100 megs, you're not buying modules on the spot market. What has to be customized about the module? So the, the, the cable goes through, two cables go through both directions. It's so it's the frame. So it's the yeah, frame it's on the be, module. It's got to have a frame, but all all framed modules have framed like frames. Like, no, but I mean, no, but the frame, the, no, the frames don't have holes in them. So they they literally in the side part where it's a vertical, you know, the one inch yeah, you go across the side, yeah. you got to have holes in there. And so that's yeah. how you have to customize it right there. And it yeah. seems like Earthos is talking with all the big players um, for that. Uh, yeah. So I was, you know, at the end of it, I was like. I know the density, the high energy density. I look at that. See, I knew it was a 180 megawatt project in Mississippi. That's a big deal. 180 megs in well, Mississippi. That, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm close to that project in Mississippi. That's a different project that I'm referring to. Pine Gate has a 100 megawatt project with Earthos, which was announced last year. Wow. But Miss, the Mississippi project is very interesting. It's a solar and storage project. Uh -huh. That's really all I can say about it. But oh, you know stuff. I, Tim I know, knows stuff. He's got know, an NDA. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim has an I NDA. All right. I'm, I'm excited that they're they're pursuing Earthos. I think that's a smart move because the kicker with, with Earthos is that it, they achieve a 20% reduction in LCOE. And that's and that's eye-opening. Well, but let's talk about what that is because it's pretty cool. One, massively lesser amounts of metal. For racking like all the metal that steals like tons. tons of steel per megawatt john there you go so 180 megs times 35 that's per megawatt 180 times 35 that's 3300 that's almost 7700 tons of steel something no 7000 somewhere around yeah. there yeah. tons that's a lot of steel um well, and you're not moving around so you don't have to buy it or move it around or put it in the ground uh, that adds up, right? So the construction is going to be faster and cheaper. And the, the question is, will it, will it be as resilient? When the panels are on the ground, they're going to get hotter. And they admit this because um, they don't have air blowing on the backside to remove the heat, right? And 
the critters are right there. And will the critters make the module or the wiring, uh, you know, have problems sooner than later? TBD, although they have a couple, you know, they have like half a dozen plants that are operating now. Most of them are in California. Yeah. Um, Most of them are smaller. Yeah, but they're yes. in the, the one to five megawatt range. Yeah, I heard they're getting the gophers to make the wire runs, you know, train the gophers. And it's a great the idea. Through there. They pull them through. Yeah. A little I'm, harness I'm on those guys. Saves I'm, I'm big. Eddie, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, feed them peanuts. Mm-hmm. And then you just put a little chip in their head and remote control them. Uh oh. Uh oh. It's amazing we got robots <laughs> the robot and gophers. trained animals. And, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, well, that's interesting that um, Robert Sturbel knows about this uh, this Earthos deal. But um, that's good. Good that people are taking notice. I mean. I love trackers, but when you talk to people about trackers, trackers also have problems, right? The, they stop tracking sometimes, <laughs> and, and then you're, you're losing energy. Uh, and, you know, it's a, it's a grand experiment we're doing. But apparently, the interesting factoid that I learned by talking to Jim Tyler, the CEO of Earthos, is that when trackers came on the scene, they provided a 5% improvement in LCOE. Mm-hmm. And in and in something like six years, they went from a small percentage to 70% of the solar installations, utility-scale solar installations. So that 5% bump in LC, LCOE was a game-changer for trackers. Now, Earthos is saying they can improve that by 20 over what trackers provide. So that is truly a game-changer. And I think it's... Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of Earthos until they we're can, proven otherwise, right? They can be put on a surface that is curved, I think up to seven degrees. They were showing one of their projects. They had a little map, a layout, and I believe in the northwest corner you could see a curve on the ground for the, where the modules, and the robot can handle the curve as well for cleaning. So they do, they can deal with that. Yeah, I 20% is, it's just that they're different. That's it. It's different. Different is scary. And when we're dropping 100 million bucks on different, you know, you got to talk about Pinegate and they're doing a megawatt project. They're probably spending 70 cents per hour or per per watt. That's 70 million dollars that's going into this project. And I, you think gotta... of a, I think of a mound like a landfill. Many landfills are the shape of a mound. OK, you could put it on the south facing side of a landfill because it there's not a lot of up and down on a landfill. It's generally just like this big round pump. And I think the Earth system, it's like a it's like a solar skin on the earth. That's a great way of saying it as you're talking about a a landfill. The, That's great. The thing that the thing <laughs> that concerns people is like, well, nothing is going to grow underneath that. You're putting a parking lot down. It's true. And I'm like, you're right, you're right. Nothing but worms is going to grow underneath that. The worms are going to be super happy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but, but you're only using half the space of a traditional yes. tracker. So you're saving ground in the greater scheme of things. You're saving some ground that, yeah, it could be dual use solar. But I just, so I think it's going to be a both end, right? I don't think Earthos is going to get traction in northern climates where there's a lot of snow. Um, I, you know what? I'll argue against that. Here's why. 
um, and because I'm working on it. So, so the northern climates with snow might have an, evol an evolved financial model and an evolved game. Um, the reason Earthos doesn't do northern climates is because they offer, or they used to offer, a power production guarantee, where they guaranteed X amount of solar would be generated during the course of the year. That was their fundamental business plan. Now it's evolving. They have a put from KWH and Analytics so that the output can still be guaranteed, but it's no longer held on Earthos books, so it's changing. But with that, because Earthos offers this power production guarantee, they, have a, they don't want to deal with anything like um, uh, they don't want to deal anything like losing production days, like snow. So if you have snow on the thing for three, four, five days, Earthos is saying, hey, we're at risk. But as I was speaking with the owner of Earthos, oh, I can't remember his name right now. I saw him at the booth. Um, the founder. Uh, well, then that was a different guy. Cause Daniel the guy, Flanagan? Uh, different, different guy. Maybe I don't have no idea who the founder is. <laughs> the gentleman does the work. He talks to me on LinkedIn. He does me proposals. I can picture his face right now. Um, but anyway, we were, what did he say? We were talking about this, and the idea was, well, if we could, as a developer, take on snow day risk, meaning let's say it's a snow day and we have one, two, three days, if we were to remove those days from the guaranteed output and just make the rest of the days guaranteed, the sunny ones, the non-snow days, then that meets the game. That covers the issue. And the issue is protecting uh, the output guarantee because everybody's worried this is what it is. You're putting panels flat. We in the industry need to optimize. We have trackers. We follow the sun. And Earthos is the exact opposite philosophy. It's just some stuff on the ground going flat. Well, uh, how do you out, how do you go from the exact opposite of uber-optimized tracking the sun to flat? You guarantee output. And so if you can guarantee the output, deal with the snow, that fixes the challenge. And so I have a feeling northern pieces of property will end up with some earthos probably less but yeah. some yeah and perhaps they could have snow cleaning robots yeah i've thought of that too i mean there's no doubt that we humans use machines to clear snow off of surfaces like sidewalks or and roofs for that matter um and you could make a robot that'll shovel the snow at least most of it um the question is, will the modules get damaged when you do that? But that's a que you know question for the robo cleaners. Uh, I'm sure they're thinking of robo uh, sweepers also. And and good question from Joe Scharf about frost heave. There's really nothing that goes in the ground except around the perimeter where they they build this curb around the array out of concrete block, and those blocks are attached to the ground with like stakes, I think. But otherwise, I don't think frost heave would affect an Earthos array because uh, there's not piles in the ground. So, uh, and and if the ground itself does shift a little, uh, that's cool because the modules aren't locked into a spot. Um, they can shift a little bit with the ground. Right. So so there's some flexibility. Yep. All right. Let's. Uh, Let's talk about what else we saw at at, at RE, and then uh, maybe get into some current news that has happened in the last couple of weeks. I want to talk about the Climate Corps that the Biden administration has launched. Interesting concept. Curious what you guys think about that. But what other take homes did you have? And and I I forgot to mention a couple. I you know quick shout out to. Um, 
Let's see, Invinity Energy, they're a vanadium flow storage company. I did an interview with them. I did an interview with Lion Energy, which is going after residential storage now. There was a lot of storage companies. Um, Lion, I know from mobile storage, like they make batteries for RVs and boats, but now going after the residential space. LG has launched a robust uh, residential product. Very interesting. I have to say it, it, it made me want it just talking with them. Why? How come? Um, it's very, it's very modular. Um, yeah, just like very plug and play. I got the, the sense that it's like really, they, they've really ironed out the system. And, you know, that's in, in the world of storage, that's the one complaint I hear from EPCs is like the integration is, is complicated. And it depends on who the company is. But even with Tesla, which is a, they integrate the equipment themselves, right? They're like end-to-end. -end. They make the software, they make the hardware, they containerize everything. Whereas for most storage companies, there's like a third-party integrator that puts the package together. And then the question is, is it all going to work? And is the finger pointing going to start? Because, uh, you know, you, you think you just, interconnect it and flip the switch and boom, right? Well, turns out not so much, right? Like getting the battery to do exactly what it's designed to do and to shut off or, or, shut, or turn on under sp very specific circumstances is not trivial. Um, so I don't have any hands-on experience with LG and obviously they've had their share of problems over the years, but, but anyway, they're they were there in force with their resi uh, storage. So, if, so have you guys heard of Bila Solar? That was a new one that came out. It was, um, it's a company that was developed by Dr. Shi, the guy that founded SunTech, and Ooh. he's been he's been making some flat uh, or, or some some flexible PV modules, and so he he calls it Sunman in different markets, but they they made it Bila Solar in the U.S. market. How do you They're spell gonna, that? I think it's B-I-L-A. B-I-L-A. Yep. And yep. They're, um, they're making a factory in um, Indiana. Yep. And it's like, I think it's like a PVC layer with solar cells on it. One of those okay, I remember we of, did talk about this at RE, right? We and, did. And, I brought it up. Yeah. And so one of the things that they're doing is they're, they're I think, gluing it on top of a you know, low-slope roof which is kind of interesting. And what else was just kind of randomly interesting, I was over there talking to them, is they put their booth right next to the SunTech booth. <laughs> and so that was, that he was the, um, uh, you know, founded SunTech. It was the world's largest yeah. solar manufacturer somewhere around like 2008 and nine. And then the government took it back from him. I don't know how things work in China or, or I don't want to know. And, um, but then they were kind of their next door neighbors, so. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I thought that module was interesting. It's really tall. It's over seven feet long. It's over four feet wide. Nineteen percent. I'm reading off the article I wrote on it. Uh, Nineteen percent efficiency. Five hundred twenty watts. And one thing that was cool, because they're so thin and lightweight, it's like literally it's quarter of an inch thick. You can fit eleven hundred and twenty units in a forty foot shipping container, which is five hundred and eighty three kW. So you wow. can do half a meg. Uh, which is almost double a standard shipping container, which is more than double a standard shipping container. Mm -hmm. And I just thought that was kind of cool. There's just, you can just fit a whole bunch of them. 
uh, you put 60 units on a, sh- a single shipping container or a, sim- a single pallet, and each one is 500. So that's like that's like 30 kW per pallet. That seems pretty cool. That's just a lot of energy on a single pallet. I thought that was kind of yeah. neat. Yeah. How many kW do you get in a container? 583. 583.44. Wow. Yeah. yeah. That's double. I mean, shipping container 250 to 300 is awesome in my world. So doubling that with this product, which is neat. And it's designed yeah. to be glued down? Like it's yes. a peel and stick or? I think you just stick some glue underneath it and put it down on the roof. Okay. And it, and the whole, their selling point, it's kind of like the Solyndra selling point. It's lightweight. Yep. Um, you know, and so there's a lot of roofs that you can't put solar on because yeah. they can't take the weight. And so you could just stick this stuff on it. It makes me think that there's a, there's an Earthos competitor here. Uh, I mean, you can't put, I mean, you could potentially put these modules on the ground, but they'd be even closer to the roof than standard modules. Cause these things are flat and thin. There's nothing to hold them up. Uh, so you'd want, you know, at least the frame holds up the Earthos mo- or an Earthos module from this, from the land. Well, yeah, you'd have to, you'd have to glue it to something, but you could glue it to plywood. Yeah. Maybe something like that. I don't know. If glue plywood it to earth. Hold up. Get yourself earth. some earth glue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> put it on. A, let's put it on top of half dome. That's some good. That'll stick to that. Mm. Some gorilla glue. Just gorilla glue everywhere, right? Yeah. Some nice. Some granite. Stick it to some granite. But yeah, it's it was, it was kind of cool. I, and I've seen them developing it too before when it was called Sunman. When I went to yeah. the, the Snek conference in 2019, in fact. Yeah. <clears throat> Oh, so they've been around for a few years, huh? Yeah, they just kind of rebranded it for the U.S. And I think they were more developing it at that time. <clears throat> oh, founded in 2014. Yeah. yeah. But I, I, Bela Solar is like the new name. So if you looked up Sunman, that was Dr. Shi. Do you remember Dr. Shi? He was kind of famous back then. He was on the cover of the magazines and all that. I think he was like the richest guy in China at the time. Nice. And SunTech was just like growing like crazy, number one yeah. manufacturer in the world. And and he um, and came so, out of that Australian lab that is the yeah, yeah. that's still the originator yeah. of of Perk technology, yeah. as well yeah. as Topcon University, right? New South Wales. Yep, yeah, yeah. Him and Martin. He studied under Martin Green. So. Martin Green. Yeah. yeah, I heard an interview with Martin Green recently on the. Uh, yeah, I did too. Or something. There was a podcast. I can't remember the name of the show, but I yeah, think this it's is Bloomberg, only one that matters. Bloomberg's yeah. podcast. Yeah. Or Bloomberg's. It's called Zero or something like that, right? Yeah. Martin gave me a like a solar award at the SNET conference in 2019. Wow. He was he was handing them out. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. So, That's cool, man. Yeah. So you met Martin. Yeah, I've met him a few times. I remember hanging out with him in South Africa at a conference over there a number of years ago. And But he he kind of does a lot of the international stuff. And I'm good friends with the lady that owns Snack. And so I go to her dinners and things like that. And they, they all those people kind of hang out. <clears throat> Snack? What is Snack? Snack is the world's largest solar conference. I think they had about 300,000 people. Um, it, this more recent one, 
and it's in Shanghai. It's, it stands for, I think, Shanghai New Energy Corporation, okay. but it's huge. They have like this hugest convention center. It's like, it's like, it's like RE plus, 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 plus. And they actually do work with the RE plus people and they, they kind of coordinate with different international conferences. I think like they were doing something with together with Solar Power Mexico and some different things. And uh, I've heard about it, that conference. It's, it's yeah, not it's no it, game. Yeah, it's like like in between all these conference calls, you could land like a big airplane and and they're just <laughs> and they fill them all up. It's just, it's insane. It's like so many miles. I mean, it's like if you wanted to see all the booths there instead of like 65 booths per hour, you'd probably be like a thousand booths an hour or something like that. I mean, do they let you ride scooters around or how do you get around such a big place? You just wear good shoes and have sore feet. Thing. And you don't, wow. and you don't see everything. And they, they have like yeah. the scientific conference too, and they have like these fancy dinners and all this kind of stuff. But it's it was pretty fun. Yeah. So you've been to that how many times, Sean? Probably like about six or seven times. Wow. I've been going for since I don't know, like two thousand. I probably went in like two thousand eight or nine or something like that. Or, or no, like maybe nine or ten, something like that. But, mm. Hey people, I just wanted to remind you to go to solarshawn.com, that's solar, S-E-A-N.com, where you can find a discussion board, you can ask questions, you can find online classes, flashcards, resources for permitting, NEC and other building code adoption lists, solar and storage news links, and all kinds of stuff. So check it out. That's solar, S-E-A-N.com. And are you doing are you doing training in Asia as well? You know, I have off and on, but you know, they they like to get stuff for free. It's kind of hard to do train tra the whole lot of training there. <laughs> but I, you know, I've done I've done some classes oh. there. <clears throat> and <clears throat> like at the I've done some at the at the SNEC conference and I did one for Photon magazine one time over in Shanghai, which was kind of cool. So <clears throat> By the way, Sean, we're signed up uh for your training course with rochelle she's our project manager office manager do all kinds of stuff manager and uh we have a, a training set for her so she can get her technical sales i don't know maybe the intro one there's an intro boot camp first or an intro thing and then a second level we may work toward so thank you oh, for awesome. following up really quickly at the show uh, I can't remember the gentleman's name that reached out, but it, he was he was fast. Oh, probably Brian Hayden, probably. Brian, yes, it was yep. Brian. Yeah, so, good guy. So Brian yeah. reached out, had lots of good data, answered Rochelle's questions, helped her get logged in. We have like a company portal now, so I guess I can track everybody and make sure they do their homework. And, yeah, it's uh, important. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah I'm not going to. Don't want anybody but, slacking. You know, people yeah, sign yeah. up for a class and then they're like, oh yeah, I'm working on it, and they're not. So. Liars, liars. Yeah. Uh, yeah. but so, so we are signed up, so hopefully, uh, it's cool. I'll let you know how Rochelle likes it. And, uh, you know, and you get to you go. go at your own pace and then you get a whole year's access and you could always extend that and you can watch videos over and over again. It's I'm, I have trouble doing that with live in-person trainings, like rewind it doesn't work too well. Like, mm. So uh, <clears throat> when you're talking to somebody, so that, so yeah, it's, I love the platform, love working with HeatSpring. Well, if she's going for PV technical sales, she'll she'll uh, she'll have to take my course as well. Yeah, yeah, she's probably in there, right? Yeah. Mm, yeah, I mean, I don't know which one she's taking. I think she's probably maybe starting the, with the associates. I think that's what you signed us up for, Sean. Was the associates first, and then we're going to go toward the technical sales. 
as we yeah. uh, figure it out and get used to it. So learning, Great. it's cool to see. That'd be two people within us who have a um, uh, NABCEP certification. That'd be very nice. And we're Great. just hiring an inside sales guy recently. So maybe uh, maybe I'll make him take a class, but I don't want to make him take any classes. He's a new, new guy. We'll see. Yeah, so. I make all these practice exams, which help people pass their NABCEP exams. So that helps a lot, too. And I answer every question every day and have a lot of fun. So <clears throat> fun and learning. It makes you remember stuff. <clears throat> All right, well, let's dig into the news, boys. Um, I want to talk about the Biden administration launching the Climate Corps. This is on Utility Dive, uh, and this is, uh, yeah, a week old now. White House launches Clean Energy Youth Workforce Program amid labor shortage concerns. And, you know, I, I'm fond of saying that humans are the limiting factor in the clean energy transition or a major limiting factor, not the only limiting factor. Interconnection queues are a major limiting factor. Uh, getting our utilities to uh, wake up and smell the coffee that they, they have to change or die. And, uh, and one way or another, they're going to they're gonna change and, and get with the clean energy transition. There is a good story, by the way. I don't know if you guys saw that about uh, the 25 utilities that are going after it, so to speak. So in Canary Media, maybe we'll get to that later. But but this Climate Corps is a great idea, right? I mean, we have the Peace Corps. We have hmm. uh, an, a Teach for America, which is an educational corps, basically, right, for getting youth involved in education in inner cities across the country. And now we have the Climate Corps. Which is the, encouraging the young Corps, people to yeah. uh, well, twenty thousand people Corps. is their is their goal, yeah. right? Of yeah. for in one year, uh, putting twenty thousand Americans to work in conservation and clean energy. Um, I think that's a wonderful idea because I I think that in our educational system, the trades for one thing are neglected, and so people don't think so much about that. They think about going to college where they learn a bunch of stuff that's not very useful. Uh, generally speaking, uh, I went to college for way too long. I know full well about that. <laughs> and, uh, so this will encourage people to go potentially straight out of high school, I think. Yeah. yeah you know, what it kind of reminds me of is like how people are talking about we need to do a full on mobilization like World War II to, you know, fight the war on CO2, that bad molecule. And um, and so this is kind of like doing that, you know, like the corpse. It sounds kind of almost military like. <clears throat> yeah, you know, we had the uh, Civil Conservation Corps back during the um, Depression in the in the late 20s and early 30s. And they did a bunch of good things. They built a bunch mm -hmm. of facilities at national parks around the country. Right. It, it put unemployed men mostly to work and. So it was it was a it was a floor. It gave people paying jobs, doing building infrastructure uh, that you know benefit all Americans. And and that's you know that's the idea here is that we'll we'll put young Americans to work working on the energy transition. And we need more workers in the energy transition. We need a million new electricians, and some fraction of those people that go through the Climate Corps will. Uh, you know, go on to very successful careers in in clean energy. Maybe you can hire them, John. Well, as soon as I saw it, I submitted our company that we would be willing to host workers and that we'd be interested in it. Um, so, yes, I, I have an interest in it. I'd like to see how it works. 
what it would cost, how we can manage it, because hiring a having a person as on your team means you have to take care of that person. You have to give them work. You have to not waste their existence. And, you know, we have to make sure that we are organized well enough to take on the responsibility of young workers. And so that matters to me is being able to deliver. Um, and also, if you have people that are motivated, they're also going to work out, do better work on their own and just chase stuff. So that'll be probably a positive of this particular type of people that are going. Um, but yeah, I think it's a good idea. I think we want to train more. I would love to get involved in training electrical apprentices, electrical apprenticey. Um, I think as a GC for some of our projects, we're at some point going to be required to have an apprentice program inside of us once we break four employees. And so it's, I, I like I like the idea of it. I hope they do it. 20,000 people working in the industry is just a start. And if there's any sort of federal support for the wage, for the base salary, then I'm all in. Yeah. Good paying jobs doing good things for the environment and human health. It's a, it's a win-win. All right. Well, let's talk about uh, solar panel manufacturing. I heard a webinar yesterday with Clean Energy Associates on the, on PB uh, on PB Magazine or sponsored by PB Magazine, and we're we're going to talk about your story here, John, that you wrote in in PB Magazine on this topic. But in that in that webinar, they point out that there's now potentially 60 gigawatts of panel factory activity in the U.S. by 2027, 2030, something like that. So a lot of activity. They were cautioned, they cautioned listeners that it's going to be some fraction of that. That's the, the upper limit. They think it might be closer to 60. But they had this amazing chart. And I don't know what this, this chart is, is called, but it's, it's like lines, curved lines that connect dots. And they were tracking you know, the, the process from silicon to wafer to cell to module and how convoluted it is and very difficult to know, you know, if it's not spelled out explicitly in the BOM of a module where particular components came from. And, you know, what, the, what this is all about is trying to get that 10% uh, adder on the ITC for made in America equipment, right? Um, so anyway, it was, that was interesting, but what's the story that you wrote for PV Magazine? A terawatt of solar module capacity expected within 16 months so new hardware new manufacturing facilities available only in china or no only by large chinese manufacturers so this doesn't include uh first solar uh meyerberger other groups like that so chinese manufacturers will break at the end of this year so we're talking like three months gentlemen will break 860 gigawatts of capacity and next year this is just modules. Next year, they'll break a terawatt. And so by uh, the end of... 2025 here, right? Yeah. Oh, but I it, see with the all-in. Uh, yeah, so uh, by global. end of 2024, they'll break the terawatt is the projection. Wow. A terawatt a year? Yes, sir. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was supposed to be 2030. That's nice. Yeah. No. Yeah, I know. We just... We, we got bored with that. Uh, we got, <laughs> I you know, know. I was bored, yeah. Yeah, you know, 500 megs. That's so 2024. Yeah. 
Let's, you know, let's... So, so yeah, just just to put that in perspective, all the solar installed from beginning to time until like mid last year was one terawatt. Yeah, right now it's going to be a, a terawatt a year next year. Like a year. Sean, you need to get into development. We need you in the development side. The training is important, though, so we might have to keep you there. And you have to get bigger. You have to train more people, Sean. Can you do this? Okay, well, I got it. I, it's all online. I could, I could handle it. Good. I could, I could do the whole twenty thousand in the corpse. Done. Do them all on Thursday if you could. Yeah. Next Thursday. It'll, it'll be done. <laughs> Been taken care of. Twenty. Yeah, it's just a terawatt, dude. And, and this is just the Chinese manufacturers. It's mostly Topcon. So it looks like the China has chosen Topcon as its um, product du jour. Uh, there's a lot of other technologies. Uh, polysilicon capacity, even it's, it's very complex for polysilicon, but polysilicon capacity is going to be like three terawatts, two terawatts, four terawatts of capacity by like 2027. Um, so, and there's, you know, complications in that market. The price just, you know, chopped by two thirds, went from almost 40 bucks a kilogram down to like 10. So it's chopped by three fourths, something like that. But now factories aren't opening as quickly as they were announced. And we're starting to see the, uh, the market respond. Um, but still, nonetheless, it, it, we're going to have before 2026, a terawatt. We might have it before the end of next year, a terawatt. Now, there's another gentleman who's from Exawatt. Uh, I believe they're a consultancy firm. He messaged me and he said, in terms of total capacity, we might have already been above a terawatt. However, it wasn't necessarily newish capacity. It was product that's a little older, lines that uh, just don't run as much. And so we do have capacity. And I think that was a key thing that Jenny Chase from Bloomberg told me about. She goes, John, just because we have a terawatt of capacity doesn't mean we're going to install it. It's a regular thing to expect that the operating, the utilization of these lines might be 50%, might be 45, might be 60. So, you know, yeah, be so tempered. Those paragraphs are capacity. Oh, so that yeah, would be so the, like 24-7 operation then? Is, not 24-7. Yeah, yes. So when you look at the first, if you scroll up, um, uh, Oh, yeah, that right there is capacity. So that is, that's if not 24-7, but there's enough machines in place to do a terawatt. So it's not saying there will be a terawatt installed. Nobody's predicting that yet. Next year, the predictions are for like 500 gigs. This year, near 400 plus. So next year, you know, maybe we'll have five, 600 gigs installed. Um, maybe 2027 is the earliest I've seen anybody predict one terawatt of capacity actually deployed in the year. Mm -hmm. um, but but yeah, so this like, is capacity. So like with one terawatt of capacity, that doesn't mean they're making a terawatt of solar modules? Because Correct. They, yeah, okay. So that means they have the factories to do it. If the demand is there, they'll do it. They have the mm -hmm. machines. And, you know, that's that's pretty close. I mean, recently the machines have been running 80, 90% uh, capacity wow. utilization, so pretty heavy. But now we're going into a massive expansion period, as you can see. We're doubling over the course of this past year to the end of this year. And during that doubling, you know, there's less than perfect efficiency. The world evolves as it goes through these aggressive moves. And, but, but it's going to be there, and it's why the price of solar panels have collapsed. And I actually have a story on that from PVMag just to show. But the price of solar panels, international pricing has collapsed to... 15 cents a watt, 16 cents a watt. Just a year ago, it was 40, 
coming out of China. How much to make the solar panels? 10, 11, 12, 13, 14. Like, there's, there's some... The people at the low end are getting squeezed. The people in the middle are holding their margins. Uh, the people selling it at 20, 25, they're making some money. But the price of polysilicon has fallen significantly, and that's the main driver of solar panel pricing. Beyond demand, of course. And then we have tariffs. Yeah, and that's a whole other thing for the U.S. So our pricing is always higher than everyone else. Yeah, because we care about those people that are manufacturing this stuff. Well, well tariffs about, don't really help. This related story, John, because this is yeah. very related. This is the uh, the story you found in uh, PV Tech. North America has twelve trillion dollars on the table for renewables generation and grids. Yeah. I'm putting this on screen now, according to DNV. What what exactly is that story, though? So DNV is just modeling, looking forward, what's changing in the United States uh, for grid upgrades, for generation. The report's based in um, transmission and generation. I mostly, of course, looked at the solar portion of it because that's what I care about. But $12 trillion to be spent by 2050. Half of the money is scheduled to go into the generation side of things. And if you look at the solar number, they state that approximately... Um, what's the solar number? Trillion. Yeah, 2.3 trillion of solar and 1.6 trillion of wind by the mid, uh, and with solar becoming uh, the main generation yeah. technology in the mid 2030s, and almost half of North America's power consumption. And power consumption also takes into account that we're transferring a lot of things from energy into electricity. To, for use there versus now when we have transportation, heating and cool, or at least heating being done by gas. So half of power consumption by 2050, pure solar. So we have, you know, 2.3 trillion. We got 20 years, 25 years. Uh, I guess that's 100 billion a year of solar, roughly, you know, super roughly. Not bad. Not bad. So that's that. I just thought it was a cool big number. Mm-hmm. And I oh, like DNV yeah. reports. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It says by 2050 they expect LCOE to be twenty dollars megawatt hour. Um, oh, thirty six cents for PV and storage. Um, yeah. That's two cents a kWh. Twenty dollars megawatt hours. Two cents a kWh. And that's and that's what Jim Tyler at Earthos said is kind of the holy grail. Like once you get down in that two cent range, then electricity's cheap enough to use it for green hydrogen or other industrial processes. You could make a heat you could power a heat battery like Rondo does. All right. I like the big reports that show the big fat numbers because it keeps me motivated to some degree because it's like, all right, I can pay my bills, and I'm in a big industry that's going to generate a lot of revenue, and all I need is a little tiny piece. So it gives me, like, ah, I can grow as a human being and a, as a business person. So that's why I like those big, fat headline numbers. They look cool. Well, talking about a fat number, Michael Bloomberg has donated $500 million to close all U.S. coal plants. And this is not the first time he's donated a uh, a big lump of cash. I I think this is a very interesting phenomenon. A big phenomenon. lump of coal. <laughs> That's yeah. right. It's 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 way better than a big lump of coal. 
Um, okay. <laughs> let me put this on screen. But you know, there is a there is a concept floating around in the interwebs about we could just buy out the fossil fuel industries uh, for some few trillions of dollars. It's 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 a surprisingly small number. I don't know what that number is off the top of my head, but but this is what Bloomberg is is pointing to that yeah, we can we can actually accelerate the closure of all the remaining coal plants in the United States for some price tag and he's putting 500 million into that cause. I don't know if somebody is is agreeing to uh match that or or what, but um Yeah, I'll do it. Okay, great. I appreciate that, Sean. <laughs> and, and he had, you know, he had uh, previously given, I think, an equal amount to the Sierra Club and um, to their initiative on on shutting down coal plants. Um, and yeah, they're they're beyond coal campaigns. So maybe this is a, just a repeat gift to the same campaign. I'm not sure. But um but the long and short of this is that it, it, it works. It's like, yeah, when, when there's, a, there's a bit of a carrot for uh, grid operators to just say, yeah, we'll, we'll uh, give, us, give us a carrot and we'll, we'll shut those things down. They're, they're expensive to operate and we can, uh, we can transition our assets to coal, I mean, to uh, wind, solar and battery storage and save money and, and make our investors uh, a greater profit in the long run. So what, what of, do you guys think about this? What's kind of funny there is the banner ads and stuff are from Exxon Mobil <laughs> on that article that you're showing. <laughs> I know. That is a little ironic. We're on the Reuters yeah. website here. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it's just, it seems that like coal just doesn't pay either and it's just kind of dying and it's just make you know making it happen faster. I did. I am in you know Colorado right now. We were driving around yesterday and we went past a coal plant and I think they were shutting them down, but there was one left and then there's all these coal cars and stuff. And being from, you know, where I'm from, from California, it's kind of unusual to see a coal coming through on a train, coal train. My kind of coal train is a Johnny coal train, you know. What is that? Johnny Coltrane, um, oh. he's a saxophone player. Yeah, it took me a moment. I Sorry, I'm a little slow. I'm not as fast as everyone else. Yeah, it's probably the coal in the air, even. Yeah. It kind of does that stuff. Yeah, Johnny Coltrane. I was trying to figure, ooh, what's that? Sounds cool. But, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, sure I, apparently, I was going to say. 150 coal plants remaining in the U.S., and uh, so this is going to accelerate the closure of those and and also um, help to prevent the additional construction of gas plants. So I'm, I'm glad there's a billionaire who takes climate change seriously. Um, I wish I wish Elon would would get in the game and, and make some gifts towards gifts like this. I know he's he's made he made a hundred million dollar gift right for the carbon capture X prize. Um, so he's not completely on the sidelines, but he could do more. Yeah, that coal's some nasty stuff. Like they, especially when you go to these other countries too, where it's like really bad and it's still growing and all that. It's, it's kind of crazy. <clears throat> what do you mean it's growing? Oh, where they're building coal plants? Yeah. Yeah, I think isn't, aren't they building like them India and China are still building coal plants? Yeah. Yeah. Like, and India, yeah. India has a huge amount of coal reserves natively. India's teetering. Like, India's teetering on maybe yeah. peaking. Who knows? It's 
it's complex for those countries. They're still electrifying. I mean, they still have, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of people who don't have electricity. And they got to figure out how to take care of the population. China's evolving quickly. They're building a lot of coal facilities, but there's also a low capacity factor every day. Every day it's getting lower for their coal stuff. So it's, again, it's a complex mix there. And with even us, the coal plants that are still um, in place and burning, the average capacity factor of the coal fleet has both A, the capacity has dropped, but the capacity factor has dropped as well. So not only are the mach- there are fewer machines burning coal, the machines that are left burning are running less. It's down to like 50-55% the coal fleet capacity factor. I saw this a couple of years ago. So I would guess that at minimum they're similar or lower than then because I know total coal usage is now in the 10 to 15, you know, 12 to 17% of US electricity range. And that's down below 20, which was last year, which was like this big number. Um, I remember that one coal guy who, uh, uh, one of my favorite people to dislike, he said, uh, grandmother is going to die on the operating system if coal drops below 30. And coal's at like, Joe Manchin? Uh-huh. no, it's Jim Murray, the guy that died. Like oh. the guy that tried to uh, keep uh, black lung coverage from his workers and tried to kill the fund, and then got black lung, and then applied for the fund. So, I, yeah, dude, I just want to say mean things that I shouldn't say, because About someday Dave, somebody, yeah, yeah it's, it's like, That's ah. That's pretty dark. Uh, yeah, dude, how mean is that? I mean, hey, you can't do that. Oh, man, well, all right. It's just, it's the standard, ah, sorry, Tim. Another story, well, we gotta, different we day. we got to wrap up the show, gentlemen. I really appreciate you both being here. Oh, look at uh, that. Check out all of our content at cleanpowerhour.com. Give us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and reach out to us on LinkedIn. I'm easy to find. John is easy to find. Sean is easy to find. But how can our listeners find you, Sean White? Um, at solarshawn.com, and that's spelled the correct way, S-E-A-N, solarsean.com. Excellent. You got all the other links over there. Yep. And Mr. Commercial Solar Guy, how can our listeners find you? Just type Commercial Solar Guy into Google, into any search engine. You will find me near the top. Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, all the websites. You gave up on Mastodon? Uh, I check it. I check Mastodon. I don't post on Mastodon as much. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> I didn't think it could fly. It's just too much, right? You can't. You can, uh, there's only so many social channels you can you can tackle. But that is me. That is me. Only so much. All right. Well. I'm Tim Montague. Let's grow solar and storage. Thanks so much, guys. And thank you for listening. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Sean White's Solar and Energy Storage Podcast. Be sure to check out Solar Sean, that's solarsean.com, for more information about getting NAPSEP certified, finding Sean's heat spring classes, and some all-around good information that will help you out in the solar industry. That's solarsean.com, solarsean.com.